Hello and welcome. I'm David Beard, contributing editor for Daily Coast Elections. And I'm David Neer, political director of Daily Coast. Welcome to the second season of The Down Ballot, a weekly podcast dedicated to the many elections that take place below the presidency, from Senate to City Council. You can subscribe to The Down Ballot wherever you listen to podcasts, and please leave us a five-star rating and review. Well, it's been a few weeks, and a ton has managed to happen in the world of politics and elections since we've been gone. What are we covering? It was not a sleepy holiday season and not a sleepy start to January. Of course, we have to talk about all of the insanity on Capitol Hill, but there are a couple of other races for House Speaker at the state level in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania and Ohio that threw some real curveballs. We want to hit those. There was actually a primary in December, believe it or not, in Virginia that we are going to recap. There is, of course, also George Santos and his never ending saga of lies. We are going to let you know what will happen when he eventually has to resign. And finally, there has been some big movement against a pick for New York's most important court by Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul. And then in the second half of the program, we are going to be talking with Sarah Garcia, who is the strategy and outreach manager of Crooked Media. That's an organization you almost certainly are familiar with since they are the creators of the very popular Pod Save America podcast. She has a lot to tell us about how things work at Crooked Media and all of the fantastic offerings they have and what's in store for 2023. This is going to be a very fun episode on our return from our holiday break. So let's get rolling. Beard, I am so glad that my job involves following politics super, super closely all day long, because if it wasn't, I wouldn't have gotten any work done for the last two days watching this utter, utter shit show to end all shit shows that is taking place in the United States House of Representatives. What the fuck? Yeah, it has been a truly incredible past couple of days and potentially many more days because we have no idea um, how or when this will end. It's literally changing hour by hour. We're, of course, recording this on Wednesday evening. So by the time you're listening to it, Kevin McCarthy may not be GOP leader anymore, or maybe he'll be speaker. We really don't know. Most most likely, we'll just still have a continuing stalemate where about 200 GOP reps want Kevin McCarthy to be speaker, about 20 GOP reps really don't want him to be speaker and are continually voting for other candidates, and 212 Democrats are laughing all the way to voting for Hakeem Jeffries for speaker, even though we know he's almost certainly not going to become speaker. We've had six votes in the House so far as of this recording. You know, Jeffries got 212 every time, every single Democrat. Republicans have been, you know, all over the place, particularly the dissenters who keep voting for different candidates just to not vote for McCarthy. And I think the biggest takeaway that we can take from this in terms of the next two years is that the House is going to be a shit show all year long and into 2024. This Republican caucus with a five vote majority has no ability to consolidate around anything, much less a speaker, much less any sort of legislation, much less trying to push that legislation through a Democrat controlled Senate and President Biden. So it is really just gonna be a mess of chaos the entire time 
whoever ends up becoming the speaker for the Republicans is going to have to cut deals with Democrats to keep the government open or reopen it after a shutdown. They're going to have to figure out a way not to have the debt limit destroy the world economy. And so this is just what we're going to have to deal with and see for the next few years, which is A, kind of scary, but also B, probably good for Democrats going into 2024 when the GOP proves that they cannot govern at any level. But the United States House was not the only legislative body in America where leaders were being chosen this week. A number of state legislatures were engaged in the same process as well. And something totally unexpected happened in Pennsylvania, where at the last moment, every single Democrat in the chamber, plus 16 out of 101 Republicans, banded together to support moderate Democrat Mark Rossi to become Speaker of the State House who immediately announced that he would become an independent, making him the first non-aligned speaker in Pennsylvania state history. And he promised to have staff from both sides and to govern as a true independent. But obviously, he was elected as a Democrat and he mostly got this job with Democratic support. How we got here was a complete, complete surprise. After November, Democrats had won 102 seats and Republicans had won 101 seats. So it should seem like Democrats should have been able to elect a speaker all on their own. However, three of those Democratic held seats were vacant. One was held by a member who actually died shortly before the election, and two were held by members who won higher office and had to resign their seats. So as a result, Republicans had a nominal 101 to 99 majority, and it was unclear whether Republicans were going to be able to get their own speaker through. If they did, how long that speakership would last. These are all three pretty safe or very safe Democratic seats, the vacant ones. So once those special elections happen, then Democrats would be back to a 102-101 majority. When that happens, would Democrats then be able to replace a Republican speaker? There was also a dispute still ongoing actually over when to actually hold those special elections. Republicans want them to be further off in the future so as to keep Democrats from filling those seats sooner rather than later. So Democrat Joanna McClinton was supposed to be the speaker. She would have been the first black woman speaker in Pennsylvania history. But instead, out of nowhere, she wound up backing Rossi for the job. It's really not clear if this is intended to be a long term arrangement or if once Democrats actually have that legit 102, 101 majority with members, no more vacancies, if they'll switch horses and go back to McClinton. But it was, like I say, a total surprise. And even though Rossi is saying he is an independent and again, got the job with some Republican support, the fact is this is a flip from Republicans. They no longer control the state house, which they have controlled for more than a decade. I think it's a little unclear. Obviously, this seemed to come together very quickly about Rossi's future intentions in terms of, you know, he says he's an independent now and he wants to govern as an independent speaker. Of course, it does look like at some point, as you said, there'll be 102 Democrats if you include him again. Does he intend to try to, you know, sort of 
keep this going? Is this something where he's going to return to the Democratic Party and step back as soon as there are 102 Democrats again? That's a little unclear and still to be worked out. But obviously, either way, a far better situation than Republicans trying to govern the chamber when they did not win a majority of the vote in the last election. Something similar actually happened in the Ohio State House, and that was much, much more surprising because Republicans have a huge advantage there, thanks in part to heavily gerrymandered maps. And a while back, Derek Merrin had won the vote of his caucus to become the House Speaker, won the vote of the GOP caucus. However, this week, instead of that happening, all 32 Democrats and 22 of the 67 Republicans in the chamber united to back Jason Stevens instead. Now, Jason Stevens is still quite conservative, but is widely regarded as being less conservative than Derek Merrin. So basically, Democrats united with more pragmatic Republicans to avoid an even worse choice. What's Pretty ironic about this is that this is actually the second time in recent years that something like this has happened in the Ohio State House. Marin was part of a group of Republicans who joined with a majority of Democrats to help Larry Householder become speaker over another Republican. Householder now is awaiting trial for corruption, so that didn't really work out. Why did Democrats do this aside from electing maybe the slightly lesser of two evils? The Democratic leader in the state house, Alison Russo, said there was, quote, no grand deal with Stevens, the new Republican speaker. She did say, though, there was something of an understanding on how they would work together on certain topics, including redistricting. We'll see if Stevens really sticks to his word on that or once he's speaker, he just decides to, you know, toss any of those probably verbal agreements in the trash. But either way, Republicans got a, another huge surprise in Ohio and did not get what they expected. Absolutely. And in a state like Ohio, where Democrats are in rough shape, obviously it's a it's a pink or, or sort of reddish lean state. And Democrats have been really, really hurt by gerrymandering and by just having their, their votes very concentrated now in a few cities. Anywhere where you can have some power, make some positive change. I think you have to take that opportunity, even if it's electing a relatively conservative speaker, if they're the better of the two candidates, which I think the, the Democrats here did. So now I want to take us to a couple of the stories that happened over the holidays, one of which was the primary in the special election in Virginia's fourth district. Um, we previewed it at the end of the year last year, and the result took place. More than 27,000 Democrats voted in this firehouse primary that was put together very quickly. There were only a handful of locations. Many people had to wait hours to make sure that they voted. But there was an incredible amount of turnout to make sure that a good candidate, you know, won the Democratic nomination for this seat because it's such a blue seat. And as we talked about, State Senator Jennifer McClellan was the establishment candidate that had been endorsed by Virginia Democrats across the board, you know, including the U.S. Senators, including the mayor of Richmond, LeVar Stoney. And she absolutely dominated the controversial opponent, Joe Morrissey, a fellow state senator who has been mired in scandal after scandal and decided to run for this seat. 
the Democratic Party came together to stop him, and they did so extremely successfully. McClellan won nearly 85% of the vote to Morrissey's 13.5%. And there's not much more of a spanking than you will see than 85 to 13 in a race that people at least thought had the potential to be close. So McClellan's going to face Republican Leon Benjamin in a special election on February 21st, but she's expected to win that extremely easily and then will go on to Congress in a safe blue seat soon afterwards. You know, if this nightmare mess in the House keeps going on, McClellan could be seated and have the chance to vote for Speaker. <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't know if that would be hilarious or awful. I don't know how many days I can take this. I think there's a German word that means both hilarious and awful. Mm, of course. So speaking of hilarious and awful, we got to talk about George Santos in, in New York's third congressional district. I, I spent, you know, I took some time off over the holidays. I spent every day reading about George Santos because <laughs> how could you not? It was so amazing. And, you know, there's no point in even discussing the lies he's told about his biography because it's all lies. And when he's caught in a lie, he just tells more lies. What really matters, though, is all the legal trouble that he faces. You know, he's he's under investigation. This is incredible by local authorities, by state authorities, by federal authorities and by international authorities, because Brazilian <laughs> prosecutors said they're reopening a case into uh, some check kiting fraud uh, that he uh, engaged in many years ago. I think the biggest problem for him is going to be the campaign finance stuff. Uh, a lot of it is very complex, but the bottom line is it appears that he spent money from donors on personal use, on travel and stuff like that. And that is just one of the most black and white things that you cannot do. It is one of the rare crimes that members of Congress or he's actually not a member of Congress yet. <laughs> members of Congress elect uh, go to jail for uh, uh, quite a number have over the years. And I think that there's probably no way Santos will resign on his own. But prosecutors will want that resignation, maybe in exchange for some leniency. It's a big feather in their cap, obviously, to uh, get a member of Congress to resign and send them to jail. And I think that's ultimately what's going to happen here. If and when that does happen, there would be a special election. The good news is that the law in New York was changed last year. It used to be that governors had wide latitude over when to call special elections to fill vacant seats. And Andrew Cuomo, the disgraced former governor, he was notorious for delaying special elections uh, as long as it suited him for purely partisan purposes. Now, though, once there's a vacancy, the governor has 10 days to call a special election, and that election has to happen within 70 to 80 days after that 10 day period. So we would know when it would happen sooner rather than later. The one problem still is that in New York special elections, the nominees are chosen by the parties rather than through primaries. So it would be just a group of insiders on both sides who would pick their candidates. So there's really no telling who they might choose in that situation. We can bet that any special election would be hotly contested. Obviously, the GOP majority in the House right now is so small, just five seats. They would do anything they can to defend this. Democrats, of course, this was their seat until the 2020 two elections and they really, really want to take it back. 
Biden won the district by about nine points. It's almost certain, though, that Republican Lee Zeldin carried the seat in the governor's race last year. So I would say this probably starts out as something of a toss up if and when there is a special election. But it will be a huge, huge, huge one if and when that happens. Absolutely. And I think as we've seen, the the wheels of justice can sometimes turn pretty slow. Occasionally, they turn pretty, pretty quick. So you never know. But I wouldn't be surprised if the special election doesn't take place until end of this year into 2024. So it's something we're just going to have to keep an eye on as these mini, mini investigations close in on George Santos. But I would be pretty surprised if he makes it to the end of this Congress without resigning. And you're absolutely right. This is going to be a hotly contested seat whenever this special election takes place. There is one last bit of New York news we want to finish with, and it doesn't directly concern an election, but it concerns a topic that is of great importance to us here at the down ballot and also can have a huge impact on elections. New York's highest court, it's called the Court of Appeals, and there is currently a vacant seat on that court because the chief judge, Janet DeFiore, unexpectedly announced her resignation last year. Now, even though every member of the court was appointed by a Democratic governor, because uh, Andrew Cuomo had picked a number of reactionary jurists to serve on the court, a four-member conservative majority had emerged in recent years that voted almost always in lockstep. This majority has repeatedly ruled against victims of police misconduct, workers who are seeking compensation for getting injured on the job, uh, tenants who'd been overcharged by their landlords, and most notoriously of all, this quartet voted to reject the maps for Congress and state legislature that Democrats in the legislature had passed. And that ruling was on entirely specious grounds. Instead, a Republican judge in upstate New York got to oversee the process for redrawing those maps. And the new maps wound up really hurting Democrats in November, certainly in the U.S. House, cost them several seats. DeFiore, the chief judge, was part of that four-member conservative contingent. So her leaving gives Governor Kathy Hochul the chance to appoint someone who would take the court in a more progressive direction. The shocking thing is she decided to name one of the most conservative judges in New York State, Hector LaSalle, to fill that Role And LaSalle has been terrible in so many ways, particularly with regard to criminal defendants, labor organizing rights and reproductive rights. He helped shut down an investigation by the state attorney general into so-called crisis pregnancy centers. And the amazing thing here is there was no reason for Hochul to pick someone like this. And progressives and labor unions immediately came out gunning for LaSalle and opposing Hochul's pick. And truly the astonishing thing is that judicial nominations in New York State tend to be these really sleepy affairs. But we are now up to 14 Democratic state senators who have come out against LaSalle and against their very powerful governor from their own party, saying they will not support his nomination. And that number is really critical. There are 42 Democrats in the state Senate. There are 63 
total members. And so what this means is that enough Democrats have now come out against LaSalle that in order for him to have a chance of being confirmed, Hochul would have to rely on votes from Republican state senators. And that is just a humiliating position to be in when your own party has a literal supermajority in the state Senate. The other thing is that I think Republicans are enjoying watching Hochul twist on this because not a single one has come out for LaSalle, even though he's probably the best that they could hope for. Right now, progressives are putting intense pressure on Hochul. They want her to withdraw the pick. She obviously should. There are any number of fantastic, progressive, mainstream jurists who would make excellent choices. And I really don't see this ending well for her. If she has to rely on Republicans to ram LaSalle's nomination through, boy, that is going to be super, super ugly and maybe even call her future career as a Democrat into doubt. Yeah, I think there's a good chance, given that we're already at 14, that a majority of the Democratic caucus could very well come out in opposition to LaSalle. And I don't know how the Democrats could then let him go through on the back of a minority of Democrats and Republicans. So you have to think that we're heading towards the very real possibility that he gets voted down or withdrawn more likely in these sorts of situations before the vote. It's just such a mistake from Hochul, who seems to have just so totally misread where the Democratic Party is at, is at in New York. You know, post Cuomo, there is a real effort to actually create a Democratic Party that is progressive, that is focused on you know, making things better for New Yorkers and actually moving on some of these issues. And she had the opportunity to be at the forefront of that. She still has big majorities of Democrats in both chambers. She just won her own election for a four-year term. And instead, she seems to have been cowed by all of this, like, tough on crime, old school thought that they she had to appoint somebody who was super conservative or people would attack her for being bad on crime and letting people out on bail and all of this stuff that Republicans constantly use to fear monger about New York City. And so that was just incredibly disappointing. And just from a political mistake, putting someone as your nominee who has the opposition of labor unions in New York is just like, politics 101 mistake. Now, if just progressive groups had been opposed and LaSalle had labor support on his side, I think he probably sails through without too much trouble. But the fact that he has this anti-labor record and a bunch of labor unions have come out in opposition, and these are labor unions that these senators rely on to win their elections and to fund their campaigns, is just such a mistake and such an error. And the hope is that this will end up with a more progressive nominee after LaSalle is hopefully gone. Well, it has been a hell of a start to this year. There is so much more we could talk about, but we need to make time for our guest, Sarah Garcia, who is the strategy and outreach manager for an organization you very likely have heard of, Crooked Media, the progressive powerhouse that is home to Pod Save America. We are going to hear all about the work that her organization does to advance the progressive cause and about her favorite shows that Crooked Media puts out. It's a really fun conversation, so please stick with us. Welcome back, everyone. We are so pleased to have on the show this week, Sarah Garcia, who is the strategy and outreach manager for Crooked Media, a company that I am sure many of our listeners know as the producers of the very popular podcast, Pod Save America. Sarah, thank you for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited to join you. Fantastic. So I am sure a lot of our listeners would like to know, probably because they are also listeners of the Pod Save empire themselves. What was the background story of the creation of Crooked Media? Why did it come to be and how did it come to be this juggernaut that it is now? Yeah, that is a really great question. So, you know, uh, to give the spiel, uh, Crooked Media, uh, you know, is the great progressive media network that it is. It was founded in 2017 uh, by former Obama aides, uh, John Lovett, Tommy Vitor, and John Favreau. Not actor, writer, director John Favreau, very different person, um, but former Obama speechwriter John Favreau. Um, and, you know, in the wake of their time um, in the Obama White House wanted to create something with the mission to inform and entertain and inspire action in a way that they weren't seeing, you know, other media and news outlets do at the time. Um, and, you know, since they started, you know, Cricket has launched like more than 30 podcasts and digital series that showcases, you know, those unique stories and voices um, across news, politics, entertainment, and culture. Um, and most relevant to this conversation, I think the thing that makes Crooked unique uh, is their launching of Vote Save America ahead of the 2018 midterms, um, which is a, a massive initiative. And, and Vote Save America is kind of like the one-stop shop for everything that voters might need to kind of get smart, get involved, and um, engage year-round in civic action, whether that's voting or volunteering or supporting groups that are trying to make their communities, you know, more equitable and, and have high impact. And so uh, Vote Save America is like a really unique um, and core part of Crooked's mission. And uh, I think one of the things that has made kind of the Crooked media monolith really, really impactful over the course of the last few years. So I sort of feel that there is some synchronicity in terms of how Daily Coast and the progressive blogosphere got its start and how Crooked Media got its start. Back in 2002, we saw the country getting ready to march off to a completely pointless and terrible war in Iraq. And a lot of liberals at the time looked around, they saw members of the Democratic Party, leaders of the Democratic Party joining this march and sort of felt like our voices, there, there, there was no outlet for our voices to really be heard in the media landscape at the time. And... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like post-Trump, there was a similar gap, uh, certainly in terms of, shall we say, uh, oral media, uh, you know, the, 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 the world of TV broadcasts, radio broadcasts, uh, definitely still, for, for the most part, missing that kind of voice saying, whoa, this is all messed up and this is all really wrong. And it was into that void that Crooked Media really kind of filled a, a, an important gap. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, especially in the wake of everything, like of Trumpism and everything else, I think Crooked really wanted to uh, stand apart as a place where you could go to hear things like it is and not hear the punditry, not hear the really specific gloss that a lot of traditional news organizations tend to put on things and like when something is really fucked up just be able to say like that was a really fucked up thing that just happened so um and not only that but i think 
also pointing to like what can someone do about it because i think that was another like really really big gap is there is all this anger all this fear and no place to really put it and channel it and funnel it into action and so like you know crooked really wanted to be that place where people could go and hear about the really messed up things that were happening, but then also figure out like, oh, but I myself can actually do something to change this or make an impact or, you know, change the course of history and protect democracy. And so that's what Crooked wanted to stand to be is a place where you could go and not only learn about what's happening, but do something about it. So that's what we've tried to endeavor to do um, since. And one of the big things that, like David said, um, Daily Coast and Crooked Media share is this idea of being both a media company that seeks to inform and a political organization that seeks to, you know, see good Democrats elected. Um, and that can sometimes be, you know, a balance to, that you have to think about as you're going forward. And specifically as Crooked Media expanded from just sort of purely political podcast as it sort of initially started into a whole range of, of media outside of that. How do you balance, you know, being a progressive company, being like a political company and also wanting to do, you know, media on, you know, mental health care and things like that? Yeah, yeah, that's a really, uh, it's a great question and a really important point. I think, you know, Vote Save America is kind of what helps to bridge all of those pieces and kind of connect all the dots there. And, um, you know, we work to connect the stories that we're covering with that meaningful strategic action and utilize our platform to connect people with those organizations, those campaigns, those candidates, uh, where our audiences like time, focus and dollars can really have an outsized impact. And so not only that, but like connecting our podcasts and our producers um, with people who are doing things in place. So if they are talking about a story about mental health, that they're talking directly with community organizers who are working on that issue within communities, if they're talking about a labor issue that they're connecting with the unions or really connecting with pro-labor candidates who are running and can, you know, serve that mission well. And so you know, educating and and mobilizing voter like voters and figuring out how we can also like target fundraising efforts is like a big part of how we kind of sort of marry our content and strategy um, with Crooked on the political team at Vote Save America. Part of how we do that, I think like in 2018, our primary goal was to be a voter education resource. And, and we've kind of continued to fill that mission through every election cycle with a content strategy, you know, to create engaging and informative content for voters across all 50 states and so beyond just the podcast we also do like voter guides and donor guides and uh, we utilize like our social media to spotlight down ballot candidates as, as well as issue-based campaigns and other things um, and so you know we've seen that like when we invest in grassroots organizers and listen to people who are actually doing the work on the ground um, especially those who have historically been marginalized or excluded um, it can have a huge impact and it's really great to kind of see how a platform like Crooked can kind of help connect people to the resources that they need to just get active and be informed voters. So I'm particularly curious to know how you came to Crooked Media and what your background was before you joined the organization. <laughs> yeah, I have like a, a weird kind of zigzag way of getting uh, to my time here at Crooked. Um, my background is not explicitly uh, in political work. I actually um, did a lot of work in higher education policy um, prior to my job here at Crooked. Um, so 
I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, far and away from D.C., never really understood how to get into politics or, you know, break into that field, but was like super inspired by the Obama era and like wanted to figure out, you know, how to like make change. Um, and so I came to D.C. through the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute, like shout out to them. It's an amazing organization that helps connect people um, and get their foot in the door um, in different places in D.C. And so through that fellowship, um, worked as a higher ed fellow for Senator Patty Murray on the Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee and kind of fell in love with higher education policy. And so um, did a few different jobs in D.C. focused solely on higher ed policy and um, specifically issues of equity and access in higher education. And so right before coming to Crooked, I was a political appointee in the Biden administration and the Department of Education doing higher ed work there. Um, and which I loved and I higher education policy is like my nerdy number one love. I will talk about that until I'm blue in the face. Um, but in doing that work, uh, I got to meet with and, and work with so many great like organizers and activists across the country, as well as political leaders. And I really, really love doing the policy work. I really love doing the nitty gritty figuring out of, okay, how can we create really strong, equitable solutions for folks in this one specific area? But I recognized that the road to get to implementing good policy solutions is really made so much smoother and easier when you have great leaders in office and when you're platforming and lifting up people or have people at the table who are directly impacted or who are doing that work in their communities and are representative of their communities and so and have like a real world understanding of the hurdles that folks have to overcome to access what should be like basic human and fundamental rights and so I wanted to do a job where I could kind of help ensure that that happens and like work towards that mission of like getting good leaders in place and advocating for like um you know really good meaningful solutions and so in recognition of all that um i decided to make a bit of a career pivot um and came to a place where i could just do all that so that's what crooked media has been for me and, and why i came to vote save america was to kind of connect people um with how they can get directly involved so we can get better leaders in office who can deliver better policy solutions that actually you know work for people. And so tell us a little bit about your role as a strategy and outreach manager. You know, like a lot of titles in DC, like some things are very clear and some things can be a little vague. So so tell us what you do sort of in the day to day to support crooked media and the progressive movement in your job. Yeah, it's a really good way to put it. DC job titles can be very, very strange and wide and mean very different things. Um, but uh, <laughs> Yeah, so good I luck trying to tell your too. grandma, right? Yeah, exactly. No, my, my family has no idea what I do. I've tried to explain it so many times. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the best way I can explain it. So I work on the political team um, and like at our core, we're here to execute on Crooked Media's chief mission, which is to mobilize people that we reach through our content into impactful action on legislation issues and elections through kind of our Vote Save America initiative, as well as our other political and social initiatives. And so I get like a really fun job and I get to work all across uh, the country with different state partners to kind of find and seed those opportunities for our audience and for our community members. So figuring out, you know, who like which organizations are doing what, how can we be supportive of their efforts? 
whether it be through dollars or through volunteers, what elections are happening and which candidates are really great and how can we be supportive of them and, and kind of connecting all the dots and really breaking down and trying to create a digestible um, like platform that people can plug into to figure out how and where um, you know they can get involved and, and get engaged. So I get to you know do a lot of that work. Um, which I really, really like, uh, and are, you know, again, just connect people with ways that they can get active and get involved. And so this includes fundraising and volunteering, and I get to really kind of work with the organizations and groups and activists and candidates and campaigns um, that we plug people into. So that's kind of a the 20,000 foot view of what I do here at Crooked. So Sarah, I got to know you recently because the Pennsylvania State House Democratic Caucus put out a tweet thanking various partners for helping them in their overtime battles to ensure that their victory, their amazing victory, which we talked about at the top of the show, in taking back the chamber actually stood up. And I saw this tweet and I thought, Ah, anyone involved in this kind of effort really understands progressive politics and understands how power is really created at the state level. And that's someone that I want to know. And so I, I asked the Pennsylvania Dems to introduce us. And I've, I've really enjoyed getting uh, to work with you over the last few months. But I would love to hear more, and I'm sure listeners would as well, about any of your favorite projects that you've gotten to work on with other groups that they may be familiar with or maybe not familiar with in the progressive ecosystem. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up Pennsylvania House Dems. I love them. Um, that was like one of my favorite uh, uh, you know, partners to work with uh, this cycle, and I think indicative of how like important these down ballot races are, and like I think it was just a really good example of like where a few volunteers can just have such a high impact and make a massive difference since the vote margins there are so small. Um, and so, like organizations like that are ones that I look for all the time. Are you know who is doing that really really nitty gritty work um, at like the state house or state senate level that people are aren't paying attention to that we can plug into that could really use our help. Um, and so we've done that in a few places, you know, Pennsylvania is one of them. Um, in Michigan, we've worked a lot with like the, you know, Michigan Dems, of course, there's the Michigan People's Campaign, which is doing a lot of great work there. Um, Northeast Native Dems is another group that we've done a lot of work with um, in Arizona to kind of do a lot of voter mobilization work in communities there. Um, but a really good example of kind of, uh, how we utilize organizations and try to support them is like our every last vote fund um which is a fund that we put together to like make sure that every voice can be heard in in the face of unprecedented like voter suppression efforts and you know that means supporting groups that are mobilizing black brown indigenous and other marginalized communities and so um for the 2022 cycle, part of that fund, we worked with Power Pack, um, which is a social justice organization that kind of strategically directs like financial resources to local and state organizations that are working to deliver wins in areas where the underrepresentation of BIPOC communities has been particularly acute. So, like, you know, 
states like Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, just to name a few. So um, they were like a big partner as part of that fund. And we really enjoyed working with them um, and getting them some resources through Every Last Vote. Um, and we really do mean Every Last Vote. We've continued that fund. Uh, it's going even now. Um, so like for anyone who thought that the election cycle was over, it really isn't because there's a special election happening January 10th in Virginia. Um, that is a big part of our Every last vote fund so um for folks who might not know that that's a special election to fill a state senate seat that was vacated by a republican that was elected to congress and so we're working with the new virginia majority to to fundraise their efforts uh to organize voters for that uh seventh senate district so that's another thing that's going on right now that I'm really excited about um, and seems really small, but can actually have like a really big impact in response to uh, the Dobbs decision and the repeal of, of Roe v. Vade, Roe v. Vade, we launched our fuck bans action plan. Uh, which was a huge endeavor where we, you know, did a bunch of fundraising and volunteering to support organizations that were doing either direct immediate abortion access or were doing long term infrastructure building um, to do voter registration in states uh, where they were repealing choice efforts. And we also used that to sort like to support the ballot initiatives that were going on around choice. So that was something that, um, you know, we had to launch and get off their ground ground very quickly, but brought a lot of really great support to a lot of really great, amazing organizations across the country. And so that was another another big one that I was really happy that we that we launched in the past year. And it's still going on. So folks can still donate to to the Fuck Bands Action Plan if they would like to. You know, I absolutely love the name of that program <laughs> because there is an authenticity to it that I think is something that we at, at Daily Coast really feel ourselves because when Dobbs came down, mm -hmm. our feeling wasn't, oh, that's terrible. Oh, this is too bad. Oh, I'm so sad. It was, fuck this shit. Because <laughs> that's what it was. It was bullshit. And I think that it's yeah. really important to be able to speak to what people are feeling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get these press releases, even from Democrats that are can be so anodyne and, you know, just use language that really is not where people are at. And I think it's a really important space in the political world to reach people and say, yeah, yeah, we get what you're feeling. We're feeling it too. And to harness that energy because, you know, you want to tap into that anger. And, 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 and that was successful in November, as we saw. No, I totally agree. And when we launched like the fuck bands action plan, we saw our biggest spike in donations, our biggest spike in like volunteer signups. People were looking for something to do. They were angry. And like, I think being able again to meet people where they're at to like call a spade a spade to say, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> like fuck all of this <laughs> sign up. Like, no, here's how you can help. Um, it was really, really helpful. And, and we were able to launch that really quickly. And, you know, part of you know, my job was to figure out, okay, who's doing work where, who needs the support? And because a lot of times people want to get involved, but they just don't know like where to start, right? There's a whole country. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of organizations out there. Like people want to know where they can have impact. And so I think just really breaking things down for folks can just make such a huge difference because it can be overwhelming, particularly when you're angry and when you're sad and things are happening, you might not have the resources or faculties to like dig through everything. And so I I think being a resource where you can just like go and channel 
whatever you're feeling in a way that's like simple and digestible is so critical and makes a huge difference. Um, otherwise, you're just like, you know, shouting into a void and that's no fun. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I may have to steal that idea and, and do a fuck the GOP fund <laughs> for 2024. I love it. Do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I'm sure a ton of our listeners are also Pod Save America listeners and other Crooked Media properties. And I'm sure you get this question a lot as an employee of Crooked Media. But out of all the podcasts, out of all the articles, do you have a particular favorite podcast or favorite episode that is that is your go to when you're recommending things to people? Oh, man, this is this is this is tough. Um I love everything that we do. Uh, Are we going to get course, you in trouble with your coworkers? <laughs> no, no, I hope not. No, I, I, I love everything. Um, but of course, like there are some things that I just like, whenever I'm asked this question, I, I have to plug the one thing I continually plug. It's one of the fav- my favorite podcasts. Um, and I listen to it daily. It's our daily news podcast called what a day. Um, I just, I highly recommend it again. It, it's just such a helpful rundown of the news of the day in Portland stories, things to be aware of, issues. You know, they do a really great job of spotlighting things that are really local, like down ballot things as well. Um, And it's just a really great, and it's super short. It's like a very quick, like 20 minute ish podcast. So make it part of your, you know, daily routine, whether you're getting things together in the morning or commuting or making dinner or whatever, highly recommend it. It's just a really great, easy breakdown of what's happening. And again, just talks about things like the way that we experience and feel them and and doesn't have a lot of that like ridiculous gloss um, on things that can, you know, miss the mark. And so highly recommend that one. Another one that I, I have to plug just because of how relevant it is to what's going on um, is our podcast, Strict Scrutiny, uh, which covers like all things Supreme Court and particularly in an era where you can wake up one day and the Council of Nine have stripped you of another fundamental right. Um, it's a great place to go to figure out what's happening, why it happened, like what cases mean, what their impacts are going to be, um, particularly as someone who is not a lawyer. I find it really helpful um, just because, you know, it's it, the Supreme Court is a very opaque uh, thing and it's a black box. And so they do a really great job on that podcast of, of breaking things down. So highly recommend that one as well. So are there any new projects or shows that we can look forward to from Crooked Media in the coming year? Yes, absolutely. Um, the big thing, our, our very, very big thing that I'm really stoked to to like launch into this year is our No Off Years campaign, um, which, you know, No Off Years is exactly how it sounds, uh, but was born uh, out of our belief that political and civic engagement doesn't just come around, you know, every two years uh, or during an election year. It's it's an all the time practice to ensure the strength of our democracy, right? Like in 2023, our no off years campaign is going to provide opportunities to engage around like a lot of the odd year elections that are happening and build year round infrastructure, especially like in key states that are going to be really important in 2024 um, and like holds elected officials accountable and advocate for like a progressive agenda at every level federal state local government
content. Um, and so like, you know, plugging into it, people will be able to engage around activities that include like voter registration, voter education, um, you know, some deep canvassing, which are like those really important early conversations that people can have via phone or text around the doors, right? To like talk with those infrequent and swing voters about the issues that are, that matter to them, that speak to them. That's like a really important thing. Um, and then like a big part will also be like fighting mis and disinformation, uh, which is just a never ending, a never ending thing. So, um, that's a really, really big initiative for us. Um, and it's, you know, starts now. Uh, and uh, our virtual volunteer community is going to be the home of this program. And, you know, we'll continue supporting all of this work as we lay the groundwork for 2024. So um, if folks want to get involved in that, they absolutely can. And I hope that they do. Um, and you can just go to votesaveamerica.com to you know, to figure out how to sign up and get involved and get engaged in that. That's going to be a really, really big initiative for us this year. Um, and our way, again, to just keep people continually engaged in what's happening. Um, in terms of content, I, we recently just, uh, you know, announced uh, a new exciting international pod called pod, like Pod Save the UK, uh, which is like an extension of the Pod Save America franchise, but will be all about the UK. So if folks are interested in what's happening there, um, that'll be something that we're launching this year and it'll be a, a new fun endeavor for, for the company. It's funny actually, because you know we launched the down ballot last year in anticipation obviously of 2022 and the midterms and we talked a lot about the midterms. And I actually got a couple of questions from some of my you know less politically engaged friends. They were like, oh, what are you gonna do with the podcast now? Are you guys gonna pack it in or like, what are you going to do for 2023? Mm. And I was like, there are a ton of things for us to talk about in 2023. The Virginia special election you brought up, the Wisconsin mm. Supreme Court election, you know, all the mayor's elections, all the November elections in those states that have them. Like, there is a ton to do in 2023. So let's not let people get disengaged. Beard, you, yeah. you need to find better friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think that's the problem. <laughs> I know it's just it's hard people I get that people are like really tired and exhausted like I totally get that but it's just you know these things never end and you just have to like democracy is literally on the line it's at stake all the time every day and so you know there's always something going on and always something that you know you can do to to help ensure that things don't eventually just fall apart and maybe it's an inevitability but you know there are still small things we can do to to protect what are you know very very, very fragile democratic structures now. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you. There's a lot that we got to gear up for this year. We have been talking with Sarah Garcia, the strategy and outreach manager of Crooked Media, the company best known for the podcast Pod Save America. Sarah, you mentioned a whole number of programs and shows and products that your company puts out. What are the best and easiest places for our listeners to find all of the amazing stuff that you do? Yes. Um, so highly recommend going to votesaveamerica.com that is just a great entry point to just figure out, um, you know, the fun initiatives that we have going on, ways to plug in, ways to get engaged. Um, and you can also see some of our really great content on votesaveamerica.com. Um, but also, you know, Crooked Media, uh, you can find all of our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so we have a lot of great content to, you know, if you are curious about what's going on in really any given area, um, just check out any and all of our amazing podcasts lately that we have. Um, but 
again, the great one-stop shop is votesaveamerica.com. Well, Sarah, it has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure speaking with y'all. That's all from us this week. Thanks to Sarah Garcia for joining us. The Down Ballot comes out every Thursday, everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can reach out to us by emailing thedownballot at dailycoast.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Down Ballot on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Thanks to our producer, Kara Zalaya, and editor Trevor Jones. We'll be back next week with a new episode. (laughs) 